This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. Good afternoon, everyone. A beautiful, crisp, clear winter's day today here in VOCM Valley. The sun is shining, but uh, for those still waiting for that winter snowfall, uh, fret not. It's coming. I was just talking to Brian Medore, and he tells me we can expect to see a bit of snow moving in along the south coast first and across the island late tomorrow through to Saturday. Not a lot of accumulation, he tells me at this point, but you might need to get your shovels out. Um, It will be a nice uh, covering of snow for Ukrainians in Newfoundland and Labrador celebrating their first Christmas away from home. Russian forces, as you uh, remember, invaded the country in February and that war continues and uh, it forced many Ukrainians of course to to flee the country. Over the last few months, Newfoundland and Labrador has welcomed over 1,000 Ukrainians to the province through a desk set up in neighboring Poland. Well, many Ukrainians mark Christmas according to the old Julian calendar, but that may soon change, as you'll soon find out. One of my guests today is Brother Ivan Zur of the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church, who will tell us a little bit about uh, Ukrainian Christmas celebrations scheduled for this Friday and Saturday. We'll also hear a little later on in the show from the Minister of Indigenous Affairs and Reconciliation. Uh, She also happens to be the minister responsible for Labrador Affairs, Lisa Dempster, uh, who spoke with my colleague Allison King uh, coming up later on the show so stay tuned we're going to have an interesting one for you uh, coming up right after this join us for on target one hour in which linda swain examines topics that mean the most to you on target weekday afternoons at one on your vocm and we're back a lot of people in newfoundland and labrador are familiar with old christmas day it's a time marked by a number of ancient traditions you may recall our conversation just before christmas uh, with dale jarvis about the mummers and ribbon fools many of which appear as the Christmas decorations are coming down. Dave, do you, you do you take your tree down old Christmas Day or take it down before then? Um, I got to say, I'm a bit of a traditionalist. I, I'm going to take mine down on the weekend. Um, but for a growing number of newcomers, especially those from Eastern Europe, old Christmas Day, marked on January 7th on the old Julian calendar, is actually Christmas Day. Well, I had the pleasure recently of speaking with Brother Ivan Zur of the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church about how Christmas will be marked by our local Ukrainian community this weekend. Ivan Jur, I understand that, well, of, of course, a lot of Newfoundlanders know old Christmas Day, but that's when uh, the old Julian calendar used to mark Christmas. And of course, a lot of Ukrainians mark Christmas uh, according to the Julian calendar. Uh, tell us what uh, plans are underway here now for both Orthodox uh, Christian Ukrainians and uh, Ukrainians under the Greek Catholic um, faith. So this coming Christmas, many Ukrainian immigrants, uh, refugees who came from uh, from Ukraine to Newfoundland uh, this past year, um, they, will, they found themselves in unfamiliar territory that originally did not have major Ukrainian um, influx uh, as the rest of the Canada experienced in late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, so Ukrainians are establishing the, you know, some kind of communities here and uh, to stay in touch, to help each other and um, to become part of um, the Newfoundland province. 
So um, since most of Ukrainians came in uh, from the Western Ukraine and Central Ukraine here, um, so the people of um, who are Ukrainian Catholics, or we call them Ukraine, Ukrainian Greek Catholics, and also um, Ukrainians who are Ukrainian Orthodox. So um, we reached out to, uh, to the leadership of Ukrainian Catholic Church in Toronto and also to the leadership of Ukrainian Orthodox Church in Toronto. So this coming Christmas, actually tomorrow, Father Andriy Onoferko, who is the Chancellor for the Ukrainian Catholic Eparchy of Toronto in Eastern Canada, is coming to Newfoundland, to St. John's, and he is hoping to, um, to, do, to facilitate celebration of uh, Christmas on the Julian calendar, or, or as we call it, old calendar. So on the 6th of January, he will be available for confessions uh, in Ukrainian and English at the St. John the Baptist Basilica. And this time is usually to prepare ourselves internally for the, for the, uh, for the celebration of Christmas. And on a Christmas Day on January 7, Father Andriy Onofarko will celebrate Divine Liturgy according to the Byzantine Rite of the Church at 10.30 in the Basilica. So this will also help um, to kind of um, to facilitate um, or start a relationship between the church, Ukrainian Catholic Church and the Ukrainian faithful here in Newfoundland. And I believe later in January um, there will be coming uh, Bishop Andriy, who is Ukrainian Orthodox Bishop of Toronto, uh, with some of the clergy also to meet Ukrainian Orthodox uh, faithful here in Newfoundland and to see how they can um, reach out to them and help to respond to their spiritual needs. Now, I understand there's a movement afoot to move away from the old Julian calendar. Is that correct? What's happening there? Yeah, that's correct. So within this last year, we obviously experienced the horrors of war, um, Russian, um, Russian war against Ukrainian people. So um, because Ukrainian Catholic Church, Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church, and uh, Orthodox Church uh, of Ukraine both are on the old calendar, um, and the Russian Orthodox Church promotes the old calendar and they want to separate themselves from the rest of the Christian world, so there was a strong movement um, between um, faithful Ukrainian Catholic faithful and faithful of the Orthodox Church in Ukraine to move away from the Julian calendar uh, onto the Gregorian calendar so as to, to celebrate uh, the Christmas and rest of the feasts of the year with the universal Christian community. So um, I believe in the beginning of December there was a meeting bef before the heads of both churches, Ukrainian Catholic Church and Orthodox Church in Ukraine and uh, they called to commissions to study the question with the timeline to, uh, with that hope to move on to the um, Gregorian calendar uh, by 2025, uh, which uh, when the church will celebrate 1700 years of the Council of Nicaea, that's finally the first ecumenical council for the Christian churches. Uh, after the Constantine um, made Christianity legal. So is it possible that uh, Ukrainians in Newfoundland and Labrador will start celebrating Christmas on the 25th in, in years to come? 
Yeah, I really hope so. And I believe a lot of people um, would love to celebrate um, Christmas and other holidays like Easter uh, with their neighbor, uh, next door neighbors who, who could be Roman Catholics, who could be Anglicans or um, Episcopalians to celebrate all together. Um, because it would kind of make it kind of a little bit awkward if if people are celebrating according to different calendars. So here it's like holiday season, December 24th till almost January 6th. And then once the holiday season finishes, everybody goes to work and then Ukrainians still start celebrating it. It kind of makes it a little bit awkward, I guess. So it would be very nice that hopefully, you know, 2024, 2025, uh, we all celebrate uh, Christmas together. I think a lot of people are familiar with the Ukrainian Easter because we remember the, the beautiful Easter eggs uh, and those traditions. But uh, is there anything special about a, a Ukrainian Christmas pr- traditions that people here might not be familiar with? Um, yes. Um, I believe here in North America, um, Canadians celebrate Day of Thanksgiving at the beginning of October. And obviously, um, uh, citizens of the United States of America celebrated at the end of November. Ukrainians do not have a day of Thanksgiving per se, but Christmas Eve is the day when whole family gathers together at the table. It's called the Holy Supper or the Sviat Vecher. So obviously um, the, the women in the household prepare all the food and food is meatless. So there are 12 different dishes and uh, some sweets and meatless dishes. There's also no alcohol consumption on that night. So family gathers together. They remember those who passed away. Um, They pray for the blessing for the coming year, and they partake of this meal. They sing carols to prepare themselves as a family for the next day's celebration of Christmas. And on Christmas Day, anything special happen? On a Christmas Day, um, people attend church. Um, usually the services are early in the morning. So I'm, I'm sure, you know, taking Canadian reality or, or our presence in a new world, it will be a little bit later in the morning. Like here in Newfoundland, we're hoping to have liturgy at 10.30 in the morning. Uh, people will go to church, uh, which is uh, the liturgy is about one hour, one hour and 15 minutes. And there is also a lot of carols. So people would wear their Sunday bath clothes or the Ukrainian national shirts. And so the the liturgical celebration in the church is important for for many people. And then they will go return home with with a heart full of joy to to continue the celebration in their households with the festive breakfast or lunch, etc. And I think a lot of people might be surprised to hear that the Carol of the Bells is actually Ukrainian. Yes, and I believe it's almost 100 years old. Um, So, uh, as I think... uh, this past Advent season, um, in many places around the world, Carol of the Bells was sounding, and with a special, um, um, with a special maybe with a very strong voice um, to, to to accent that it's written by Ukrainians, 
and it's also that it is sung in so many languages around the world. So that's the gift that Ukrainian people give to the world community uh, to help them celebrate uh, Christmas. Well, uh, Brother Ivan uh, Zor, uh, I really appreciate your time and uh, Merry Christmas to you. Thank you so much. Merry Christmas to you. That's Ivan Zor of the uh, Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church here in Newfoundland and Labrador to help with the celebrations of uh, a Ukrainian Christmas, which will be taking place tomorrow and on Saturday, of course. Uh, when we come back after the break, we're going to hear a conversation that uh, my colleague here, Alison King, had with the uh, Minister of Labrador Affairs. She also happens to be the Minister of uh, Indigenous Affairs and Reconciliation in Newfoundland and Labrador, Lisa Dempster. Um, you'll hear the conversation with Allison King coming up right after this. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show. Midnight on your VOCM. And we're back. My colleague Allison King had a recent conversation with Minister of Labrador Affairs and Minister of Indigenous Affairs and Reconciliation, Lisa Dempster, who touched on a wide range of topics related to her very busy portfolio. I thought we'd share that conversation with you here on On Target today. Here's Alison King with Minister Lisa Dempster. Minister Dempster, 2022 was a really busy year for your department, um, especially with Labrador and Indigenous Affairs. Um, one of the big topics last year was uh, the call for better search and rescue resources in Labrador. Obviously, that's been ongoing for many years, but especially a big push last year with, uh, you know, quite a few tragedies unfolding as of late. You know, where do we stand with those conversations? Absolutely. Uh, it was uh, search and rescue was a big topic, you know, as uh, folks around the province and far beyond saw yet another tragedy that unfolded in September 2021. Uh, in December of 21, we had the uh, inquiry complete into ground search and rescue in our province, and that uh, primarily stemmed coming out of the Burton Winters uh, tragedy in 2012. There were 17 recommendations uh, that came back uh, to uh, government from that inquiry, uh, some of them uh, under the jurisdiction of the province. We have jurisdiction for uh, search and rescue services on land and then the federal government, of course, uh, uh, in the uh, in the water and in the air. And uh, so that inquiry identified some of the um, areas that are that are deficient that we need to work on in terms of who owns jurisdiction. Uh, we have moved as a provincial government in the spring budget. We invested nearly $2 million into ground search and rescue. And what's happening with that is uh, some of the teams around the province are uh, being better equipped with resources, things like doing ice rescue, uh, GPSs and other resources they need. I know in southern Labrador, three teams are being set up and training is actually happening this month in February I will be traveling to Ottawa along with my colleague, the Minister for Fire and Emergency Services, uh, the Minister of Justice, Minister Hogan in the province. Uh, we will be joined by uh, Indigenous leaders from across Labrador. Uh, we will be joined by uh, the parents uh, that will make a presentation from uh, Mark Russell, who was one of the two uh, on the island lady, that tragedy that occurred in September 2021. So there's a lot of work happening around the search 
search and rescue file provincially, and uh, there's a very strong advocacy taking place, uh, you know, toward the uh, federal government asking them to step up and, uh, and to meet some of the needs in particular in Labrador. Right. And just a quick follow up. Would you like to see a primary search and rescue unit right in central Labrador? 100%. We need a primary site in Happy Valley Goose Bay, full stop, in the period. All right, I will um, move on, but continue talking about Goose Bay. Um, Another big topic last year was, you know, the homeless and transient population in Happy Valley Goose Bay. Um, Community members, government, Indigenous leaders are all working together to address the issue. Can you just give me an update on the acute uh, team's response uh, to that situation? Absolutely. Uh, you know, there's there's a, a long, long list of really positive things that's been happening across Labrador and on Indigenous files across the province. Uh, but there's there's no doubt challenging and complex files that come uh, stem from intergenerational trauma uh, and things of that nature. So in Happy Valley Goose Bay, I guess there's always been a, a, a smaller population of homeless. What we've seen in recent years is what uh, we refer to as transiently homeless homeless people that may have homes in their communities back where they came from, but they, uh, for various reasons, you know, uh, come to central Labrador. And uh, so there's been concern for the safety of those uh, vulnerable populations, as well as the safety of the broader community. So there's been a tremendous effort that have gone into uh, try and improve the situation. And uh, there is an action team made up. It's, it's actually led by my department Labrador Affairs, uh, but uh, joined by many stakeholders, all Indigenous groups represented. They've been focused very much on some longer-term goals, like a purpose-built facility with wraparound supports. In addition to that, I believe maybe it was back in June, uh, because this file is near and dear to the Premier's heart as well, Uh, he uh, set up an acute response team. I guess it was a higher uh, decision-making level folks that were placed on that committee myself and Minister Hogan co-chair the acute response team and we also have Minister Abbott uh, and Minister Osborne Health and Housing on that file as well as leadership from Happy Valley Goose Bay, Indigenous leaders and what we've been able to do is respond to some of the immediate needs very timely like additional security in the community etc working with uh, closely with the town of Happy Valley Goose Bay. That, um, I guess in talking about, you know, Labrador Goose Bay and Indigenous leaders, obviously truth and reconciliation is a big part of your department. Um, I want to just touch on Beothic Lake because I know that that received the second reading in the House. I'm just wondering where that is. Is that fully renamed now? And can you just talk about some of the, the consultations all of last year leading into that? Absolutely. So yes, it is official. Uh, uh, formerly uh, Red Indian Lake is now Beothic Lake, uh, and it, it got a lot of media attention. And some of it was very uh, justified and fair. Uh, sometimes, you know, uh, consultation doesn't happen uh, upfront in the manner that it should. And I can tell you, uh, speaking only for myself as a Minister of Indigenous Affairs and Reconciliation and Labrador Affairs, that uh, it was a learning curve for me there as well. We did 
we'd go out and do consultations in central in places like Buckins, Buckins Junction, Millertown, uh, extensive consultations. And, uh, you know, we had an online portal set up and in the end, uh, you know, and we work very closely with the uh, Indigenous leaders that the Premier and I meet with on a very regular basis as a part of our uh, journey on this road of reconciliation. So uh, we renamed Beothic Lake and uh, in Budget 22, there was uh, an investment of 250000 announced to begin the planning process for a facility in central uh, Newfoundland. And basically, you know, that's envisioned to commemorate the Beothic people and to complement the final resting place of the remains of Nunosabut and Damasduit. And uh, so that was a part of the idea behind actually even changing the name of the lake because uh, we want to um, we want to uh, house uh, the remains of the last two known Beothics, a very sad legacy. We want to honor them and uh, uh, place them in a facility with uh, that will give them some dignity and honor in their final resting place. It will uh, be uh, a very substantive investment uh, into that facility. And so work is uh, is ongoing right now. We're in the planning process of where that will actually happen. And uh, we have uh, Anne Chase, is a familiar name in the province from the rooms, that will be leading that piece of work on behalf of the provincial government. Um, their remains have been repatriated to the province. Am I right in saying that? Yes, you are absolutely right in saying that. Currently, uh, you know, that was led by uh, uh, Chief Joe, a Miakpik First Nation, and in consultation, he worked closely with the other Indigenous leaders, and it was quite a journey and uh, very, very moving uh, back um, uh, maybe uh, two, three years ago that they came back. I don't have the date right in front of me. I can get it for you. And uh, very moving, um, I guess, ceremony down at the rooms, and they are very, you know, safely stored there right now uh, but the uh, indigenous groups around the province have been pretty clear that they want them uh, you know in as timely a manner as possible uh, to go back to to the land that they inhabited when when they lived here right um, no timeline yet I guess on when that facility would be made though uh, no, I, do, I don't have a timeline other than that the planning uh, process is happening. Perfect. Um, and just quickly wanted to touch on another uh, thing that was possibly going to be renamed, but Colonial Building um, was decided to keep the name the same after some consultation there. But um, you guys are looking at including some Indigenous history into that facility. Can you just talk about Colonial Building? Absolutely. So uh, I guess the first thing I'll say is over the last year, uh, you know, even even the renaming of Beothic Lake uh, and, and some of the, uh, you know, uh, conversations that happened around that whole piece, rightly or wrongly, uh, it was really heartwarming to see people get engaged, to see people talking about the history, to see a deeper understanding, I believe, in uh in our history, some of the wrongs of the past and the things that we have to atone for as we move forward. On the Colonial Building, uh, we had wondered if folks would want the name changed again. Uh, an online portal was set up and uh, some really interesting feedback, you know, several hundred uh, people, uh, I think, uh, weighed in. I'll, I can easily get those numbers. They're readily available. And uh, there was folks that said, uh, yeah, let's change the name. We don't, uh, for various reasons, uh, don't like the, the name Colonial. And then there was other people that said, 
we can't completely erase history and move on as if it never happened. So that name, uh, you know, uh, it, there's a story behind the name. So in the end, uh, what we decided to do, working closely with our uh, Indigenous leaders, was uh, to leave the name as is on the colonial building, but to ensure and to give every uh, one of the five Indigenous groups in this province the opportunity uh, to have some of their history and some of their story told in that building. And uh, quite uh, frankly, I think uh, we landed in a, in a pretty nice place there. I'm Linda Swain. Coming up next, we'll hear more of the conversation between Alison King and Lisa Dempster right after this. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. And we're back. There are a lot of issues facing Labrador, especially in light of recent announcements, including the diversion of obstetrical and other services from Happy Valley Goose Bay to Labrador West. That diversion is if you recall, was put in place sometime just before Christmas and will remain in place for the next few weeks. Here's the rest of my colleague Alison King's conversation with Labrador Affairs and Indigenous Affairs Minister Lisa Dempster. Yeah, first on health care, quickly just wanted to ask you, you know, pregnant mothers were expected to travel to Labrador West to give birth, and I think that diversion's running until at least January 13th. Can you just talk about, um, you know, there's a nursing shortage right across the province, but health care in Labrador is particularly difficult where it is so isolated. Can you just talk about uh, the situation in Labrador's health care? Absolutely, and and you're very right. We are so challenged in healthcare. Uh across Labrador, across the province, across this country, and and really globally. My mom lives on the West Coast in British Columbia, and so uh, I, I'm pretty well versed in what's happening there, and it just it, it sort of just drives home what we're grappling with here. Uh, we had uh, people from the healthcare profession leave in untold numbers uh, across the country and beyond during the global pandemic for all kinds of reasons. In particular, Labrador, as you mentioned, is pretty unique, and as unique challenges. We've got, uh, you know, indigenous isolated communities on the North Coast, uh, places like Black Tickle and Norman Bay in in my constituency in Southern Labrador. And for many years, I I grew up isolated on the South Coast. We didn't have a road connection ourselves until uh, the end of the year in 2001. And we were often serviced in our community clinics. Uh, It was common to see retired nurses come that wanted to have that experience in the North. And uh, so of course when COVID hit those folks were saying why would I do that now and and, you know uh, add that risk to my life etc and so we we did see an increase in vacancies I believe the health authority have worked extremely hard to ensure that isolated communities did have some support they may not have always had the full complement that they've needed Uh, and uh, this year you're you're right in December uh, we've had our first diversion Uh, we've watched uh, across the province as a number of my uh, colleagues in districts have had diversions with health care where folks that would normally drive a half an hour was actually driving maybe three hours for periods of time. Like Christmas, when you want to give uh, workers, you're trying to find a balance in keeping those places staffed to also giving your workforce in health care some desperately needed time away with their family so that they don't leave. You know, we want to keep them there. So we did have, uh, the numbers were uh, six 
to 10, I believe, uh, mothers that uh, were anticipated having to need to services in Labrador City. Uh, I guess I had one constituent, and that's what I can speak to uh, from southern Labrador. That was really um, feeling anxious about that, but I'm happy to say that she went. She felt the, her feedback was that the service was very, very good in Lab West, and in two days she was home again on the coast in southern Labrador uh, with her baby and her other uh, children for Christmas, in time for Christmas. So there have been challenges, but there's a long list, Alison, of things that uh, our government is doing to address uh, some of the health care needs that we are grappling with in this province. It is the number one file that we are working on as a government. And I, I think I'll add that I was encouraged a little just uh, a couple of days ago to be reading an article in the Globe and Mail, a national paper that talked about the challenges across the country and singled out Newfoundland and Labrador as probably being out of the gate first in terms of a addressing some of those needs uh, with uh, uh, the list of incentives that we have put in place. And we'll continue to make health care a priority, and I'm very confident that uh, in the not-too-distant future we will be in a much better place in health care as we rebuild from some of these forces that were beyond all of our control. Great. Yeah, it's lovely to hear that uh, the constituent in your area made it home for Christmas because, yeah, it's such a, a weird time, especially being December, to uh, have such a diversion. But like you said, so hard to get people time off as well. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to touch on, you know, a little bit of a reflection of uh, some of the things that um, your department has worked on. Uh, I mean, I grew up in Labrador, so I drove across that road to Lab City a number of times playing hockey. That road was brutal and it's finally completed. Can you just talk about that accomplishment? Oh, I, did, I didn't realize that, Allison. So you certainly have an intimate experience. That's always refreshing <laughs> when we speak to a reporter that's got that history. Yeah. Uh, it was incredible. On the 5th of July, to stand at the Cartwright Junction and watch with my colleague, the Minister for Transportation and Infrastructure, Minister Loveless, to stand there and watch the last load of asphalt being dropped that saw, uh, you know, what an incredible, tremendous feat. 1,100 kilometers of road built through such a wilderness, remote terrain from the border in Lab West to the border in in uh, Lance Claire. And, uh, you know, a billion dollars uh, started in the late 90s. And we certainly took that day to celebrate the decades and to celebrate the many people that, you know, I happen to be the minister, a very humbling to for Labrador to uh, stand there that day. But I, I stood on the shoulders of so many uh, who came before me that lobbied, advocated, uh, you know, from the municipal level, combined councils to the provincial and federal level. Tremendous. But we rolled up our sleeves the following day and uh, sort of went back to work with a renewed desire to see that the transportation network in Labrador continue. So we've gone out with... uh, uh an RFP for a pre-feasibility on the road to the North Coast. We have had two submissions come back that are currently being reviewed. We want to, you know, better understand what the factors are that's involved in building that road. Uh, it's imperative that consultation happen with the people on the North Coast. We also um, want to, uh, you know, we need to look at getting the pavement of branch roads in southern Labrador, places like my hometown. It's a 29-kilometer branch, not just Charlottetown, 
around, but Norman Bay and Pinson's Armadale depend on that. We have the only shrimp processing facility in all of Labrador, so lots of harvesters use the road from right across Labrador and the island and a product trucked out, etc. I will say it's been a banner year for our ferries as well. We've got the ferry in the Strait of Belle Isle that uh, moved um, almost 12,000 more passengers this year. We've moved over 100,000 people on that ferry this year, and I think 981 vehicles, 170-plus uh, tour buses, that's up from about uh, a couple of dozen the year prior. We saw record levels on the North Coast, over 5,000 passengers moving, and, uh, you know, vehicle numbers were up as well. And no doubt, as we continue to invest in Labrador, what my grandfather often referred to as Canada's last frontier, no doubt the investments that we are making in marine services, in road work, in broadband. All of that is contributing to seeing increased traffic numbers across Labrador. Uh, Come Home Here was a tremendous success. People were quite anxious in 2022 to gather with family and friends as uh, we emerged from, from the global pandemic. And we saw a record number of visitors at the provincial sites. I have one in my district in Point Amore. Uh, we're quite proud to say uh, you know, the tallest lighthouse in Atlantic Canada and the second tallest in the country. And uh, we did actually, we, we paved out there this summer, the 5K out uh, to support the, the tourism industry. And we're going to continue to build on those investments that we've made. Wondering if you had any other things that you wanted to point to last year or even just looking forward to this year, you know, what are some of the bigger items on your agenda? So, you know, uh, reconciliation, uh, the work continues. We did uh, hold the uh, Premier Indigenous Leaders Roundtable in Goose Bay in late November, I believe, and that would have been the fourth Premier Indigenous Leaders Roundtable. And really, it's a new way for us to engage with Indigenous leaders. It's uh, a focus on matters important to Indigenous people. The old way of, uh, you know, the colonial way of white people in an ivory tower telling those folks what what their priorities should be and we know best for you uh, was wrong and we know that on so many levels. So we're working closely now with our Indigenous groups and even, you know, Indigenous Friendship Centres. It spans out across the province, uh, building uh, what I believe is great relationships on our road to reconciliation and we're going to continue to do that and uh, we're taking our cues from the files that matter to them. And we're, you know, in addition to the regular meetings that the Premier and I have with Indigenous leaders. There's lots of bilateral meetings that are happening as well. For example, you know, I'll be in Maine next week. We're working with the Natsivit government on things that matter to them. I'll be in Nakwishish. We're working with the Inu Nation to finalise their land claim. We signed on Truth and Rec Day, September 30th, an education MOU with uh, Nunatuvit. We're working very closely with uh, Chief Mitchell from Halapu First Nation to support them, even in some of their uh, federal uh, endeavors as they as they work to to get some of their membership back, and we all know that whole history. Uh, Chief Joe down in the Akapik First Nation, you know they've got some irons in the fire and around economic development and land issues. So we're going to continue uh, to work closely with our indigenous partners uh, as we move forward as a government. 
one of the things that's been a priority that my department has been leading is work around uh, call 57, uh, one of the 94 calls to action by the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. You know, it talked about um, our core public servants needing a better understanding of Indigenous people's history as we work with them going forward. So we've actually been co-developing once again in lockstep with our Indigenous partners that material and uh, once that's finalized we'll certainly be uh, uh, you know ensuring that everybody who works with the provincial government will have to have that training it will be mandated another thing that was really exciting for me um, late November in Northwest River I joined uh, the, the Premier and my colleague, uh, the Minister for Women and Gender Equality, and the Premier announced the establishment of an Indigenous Women's Reconciliation Council in collaboration with the Provincial Indigenous Women's Steering Committee. And really, Alison, the goal there is to coordinate and lead meaningful action on the implementation of recommendations to address and prevent systemic violence against Indigenous women and girls. And we know that Indigenous women and girls are, you know, probably four times more likely to to face violence, et cetera. And it was it was very moving because some of the people that sat around the table that day uh, from across the province in Northwest River just uh, just about a month ago um, had told me that this is something that they were sitting around tables looking for since 2005. So coming out of the gathering uh, last year, in it happened last. Last year, actually, in Steadybrook on the West Coast. Uh, and uh, coming out of that, there was a pr- report prepared that was presented to the Premier, myself, the Justice Minister, and the Women and Gender Equality Minister. And uh, they wanted a, 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 some type of a reconciliation council, a table that could be convened where folks in community could sit with government officials and could work toward addressing uh, some of these pressing files, you know, around um, uh, missing and murdered and Indigenous women and girls. How do we begin to combat the violence issues? And so I was. Uh, that was that was another uh, big highlight, uh, you know, at the uh, end of uh, 2022. Thanks very much to Alison King in the VOCM newsroom for her conversation with Minister of Labrador Affairs and Indigenous Affairs and Re- Reconciliation, Lisa Dempster. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening, everyone, and for our Ukrainian friends, Shaslivovol Rizva. And we'll take you out now with uh, Carol of the Bells. It's a Ukrainian Christmas carol, which uh, a lot of people uh, are familiar with, but may not know that it is actually Ukrainian. So uh, thanks for listening, everyone.